Today we're going to talk about how to get better as a game developer. Hey everyone, how's it going? I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 14th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I'm your host, Zach Avelli, and today's episode is about learning and getting better as a game developer. If you're interested in uh, talking to me about game development or um, participating in our community, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zachavelli underscore, or you can join the Discord um, the invite link is in the show notes. The Discord's a good place to show off what you've been working on, um, talk with others about learning game development, or uh, participating in the Game Dev Challenge. And speaking of the Game Dev Challenge, let's um, go over to that section of the show. So if you don't know what the Game Dev Challenge is, every episode I give a prompt or sort of a challenge for people, and it's usually like bite-sized things you can do to practice and get better at game development. Um, People put their submissions on our Discord under the Game Dev Challenge um, channel, and then others come and vote on them, um, talk about what they like, what they don't like, and then I read uh, the one with the most reactions on the show. So last episode's Game Dev Challenge was to design a level um, for any game that you'd like, but The key was to incorporate all the things we learned about level design from the last episode um, and kind of sketch out how the level was going to work. And we weren't judging this based on art, but rather um, sort of the mechanics and structure of how the level design all came together. And for this game dev challenge, unfortunately, we only got one submission. I think that might have been partly because I made this challenge a little bit too big, so it was a lot to do in two weeks. Because a level is kind of a hard thing to think of, right? It takes a while to, you know, design it and put it all together. But I will say the one submission we got was very good, and so also people might have seen (laughs) that that was the first submission and felt like they weren't going to win because it was so good. I stand by the fact that you do the game dev challenge to get better yourself and not necessarily to win. Winning is just a sort of nice thing to have so that I can read something on the show and we can all talk about uh, one of the submissions. If you are not doing the challenge because you see others and you're afraid how yours is going to stack up in the competition, um, we're actually going to talk about this very topic later in the episode, but don't sweat it if you feel like your stuff is subpar. The whole point is to get better Um, So really, I'd expect everything to be subpar, right? Because everyone is always constantly learning. So yeah, it's okay if it's not like super polished or has some flaws. The point is to get your ideas out and get uh, some practice in. But anyways, episode 13's winner is Nieblig. Nieblig's submission on Discord. I'll read you the text here. Nieblig says... Level for a beat-em-up stick fight game I've been dreaming of making. In prior levels, the player moves left or right through each level, beating up baddies as they go. In this level, 
the player passes a suspicious door on a rooftop and enemies emerge from left to right, as normal. But at the 5 second mark, ranged enemies appear from the left. Nibelig uh, further explains, This is an attempt to subvert the normal mechanic to evoke a feeling of momentary panic and force the player to adapt. So, what Nibelig is doing here is like what we talked about um, in the last episode where you want to try and subvert your main mechanic. Um, this is kind of like a surprise, um, and this is good level design because, remember, every one of your levels should introduce, show off, or subvert a mechanic. And surprises like this kind of help keep things fresh. And so what this looks like to me is um, the reveal of a ranged enemy. Up to this point, um, it's sort of like a beat-em-up game, uh, so it's all close combat, and this is the first time there's a ranged enemy. And this would, as Nibelig said, um, create a moment of sort of panic and force the player to adapt to a new situation. Also, part of this post, um, the rest of the text says, The background is an epic sunset. I want you to know <laughs> that epic sunset is in all caps. Um, anyways, the background is an epic sunset over a cityscape where you see rising smoke and similar rooftop battles happening throughout the city. And then Nibelig left a picture, which is like a hand sketch of sort of the layout of the level, with some notes that basically detail everything that was said in the text included with the post. What I really like, um, I like a lot of things about this post, first off. The things that immediately jumped out to me were that this sketch on the piece of paper looks exactly like game design notes that I've seen on game designers' desks. And I think it's important to point out that um, I think what a lot of people get stuck on is like making things look uh, like super high quality to start out with. But really, I think it's more about sketching out your ideas so that you know what's going to work and what's not going to work or what's going to look good or you know, getting the skeleton and then making it look good after that. Because chances are your first ideas will need some improvement. And so if you can just make quick sketches, you can make a lot of iterations. And iterations are king when you're trying to come up with improvements. If you're spending all your time making it look good to start out with, then you're just inherently going to make less iterations. And so... I said in the Discord, like, wow, this looks pretty professional. And I don't know if, um, maybe if you didn't know what I mean, you'd like take that as like kind of satirical or sarcastic. Um, but I really did mean it. This is exactly how professionals do like preliminary game design. In fact, this isn't just in the games industry either. Um, if you look at movie directors, they do uh, storyboarding, which is basically where they draw all their scenes before they're going to film them because filming in real life is very expensive, so they want to know what shots they're going to have before they get to the set. And a lot of movie directors are not great at drawing. And so you can go look up storyboards of, like, famous movies where it's basically all the scenes just depicted in really bad stick art. And then, yeah, of course, because these movies have, like, million-dollar budgets, then a professional artist comes back and does them all nice. But you can find the hand-drawn stick art ones from famous directors and movies you know and yeah i guess the point of this is that when you're getting your ideas down just draw it rough it's okay if it's extremely rough it's okay if it looks bad 
Um, it's okay if, even if the design is bad. The point is to get as many iterations as you can um, so that you can learn from your mistakes and overall get a better product out of it. And actually that weirdly ties into what we're going to talk about later. I guess it's just on my mind. But yeah, that's an important point to know and probably should have been part of the body of the episode. But just know that making lots of iterations is a really good way to improve your product, whether that be your art style, your game design, your music, whatever. Other things I liked about the submission, um, Nieblig mentioned evoking a feeling. This is, um, of course, you know, my like golden idea for game dev. Um, and I think there's an interesting dynamic here that maybe Nieblig didn't intend, but I noticed it when I looked at the composition of the sort of screen. There's a drawing of like what the screen looks like um, of the level, including the player and the enemies and all that. And the composition is actually put together pretty well. I can see what this scene is going to look like, with, especially with the smoking buildings and other fights kind of erupting all over the city. And this is the thing that I'm not sure if Nieblig intended, but when you evoke emotions, a really good thing to do or a way to make them kind of feel more powerful is have extreme contrasts. Now, you can't do extreme contrasts like all the time because it just kind of numbs your player and they don't feel anything. But what this does a good job of is so you're going to emerge from the door and you're going to see this... Um, Epic Sunset. Remember, Epic Sunset is in all caps. So that's just like Epic Sunset taken, dialed up to 11. And you're going to have this like super awe-inspiring sort of artistic composition with smoking buildings in the background and fights going on in the background. And so it tells a story. Like it kind of makes you feel a little bit small because you're just one person in this massive citywide brawl. And so it's almost like awe-inspiring at first almost like you want to take a second to take in the beauty, right? And then you got your enemies, they come in and you're like, okay, yep, more enemies, I've beaten up hundreds at this point. And so it kind of lulls you into like this comfortable spot where you're taking in a pretty sunset. It, you know, you have like the epic scale of the battle and it sets you up perfectly to be caught off guard by a new enemy type. A game that does this a lot or kind of has these similar sort of uh, reveals is a game called Castle Crashers. And this just really reminded me of those moments right before they set up the boss fights. They always have like some kind of cool setup like that. And then the boss drops in and it's kind of a uh, like moment that catches you off guard. And this very much reminded me of that. So I wonder if Nieblig intended to put this sort of contrast uh, back to back or if it's just the way you worked out with the sort of uh, art direction. But yeah, I thought that was an interesting sort of dynamic um, between the contrast of two emotions, and they're almost complementary because the first one sets up the second one to be even um, stronger. So yeah, congrats to Nieblig for winning the episode 13 Game Dev Challenge. So for this episode's challenge, um, I want you to pick a game, old or new, and write a criticism of one of its elements. Um, this can be of, by elements, I guess I mean, it can be a system, the art style, the story, UI, sound, anything, any element that you find um, in any game, old or new. Uh, the point here is we're going to judge your criticism. So you got to think of yourself almost as like 
a game design or art design consultant. Um, so you're writing this for another company because they want to know, they're paying you to figure out how to fix their game. And the focus on this challenge is writing an effective critique uh, that helps the reader come to a solution. Um, you're going to see why later in this episode, why this becomes important. But uh, for now, just know that being able to write effective criticism um, really helps you in taking effective criticism and knowing what's good criticism and what's criticism that you can kind of just ignore. So anyways, with that, let's uh, go over to the body of the episode. So before we get to my tips on learning and getting better at game dev, um, I kind of want to talk about what inspired this episode. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, I'm happy to say there's been an influx of a lot of new people to the Discord, and a high percentage of these people are beginners. And for whatever reason, something that a lot of beginners don't know is that game dev is tough, and beginning at game dev is really tough. The first couple projects are just learning to code or learning the software is always really hard. And the truth is, is that the majority of people who start will quit before they ever even make one game. I think this is because people underestimate the work that goes into a game dev project. It's fun to think up of a game because you can get instant feedback. Um, you can picture it in your mind and it feels like you accomplished something. You can dream up all these fancy systems and the art style and all that, and in your mind that is a complete whole package game, um, and it kind of feels like, okay, all the next step is is just to make it. But as soon as you go to make it, you realize how tough it actually is. It's not just the technical part, like coding and software, but it's also that the ideas that you have might not work that well from an actual game design standpoint, and you find that out when you put it into practice. And there's a whole other element um, in that the art inside your head also has to be made and realized. And um, in your head, it's like a crystal clear, amazing art style. But in actual practice, it's really hard. It, it requires a really good artist to um, kind of translate what's in your head to the screen one-to-one. -one. And so I guess the point is actualizing your ideas is extremely hard. Coming up with game ideas is relatively easy. And I think that's why there's such a high disparity between people who have game ideas and people who have made game ideas uh, into reality, that is. And so there's something that I want beginners to know right off the bat, um, and that is that there is basically failure and unknowns around every corner in game dev. And I think this is what turns a lot of beginners away. And it feels like this is the part where I'm supposed to say that if you just work hard, you'll get over the hump and you'll be only limited by your dreams. But the truth is, is that dealing with failure and unknowns in game dev almost never goes away. At least for me, it hasn't gone away and I'm into this seven years now. What I don't want you to do with this information is get discouraged and think that you can't do it. But what I do want to do is tell you the truth about how hard it is um, so that you're ready for the challenges. I think what breaks a lot of beginners is they don't realize how hard it is and then they get overwhelmed by all the challenges, all the failure, all the unknowns right at the start. 
you know, it's one thing to like fail once, um, but then learn. But when you're first starting game dev, it's a mountain of things that you don't know, an extremely steep learning curve. Uh, you're going to fail like dozens, maybe hundreds of times. And I don't mean just like simple failures. I mean like you're going to accidentally break your code and lose everything. You're going to not know how to have like automatic save file backups and you're going to lose your saves. You're going to spend a super long time making a game and then when you go to play it, um, it's just not going to be that good and that can be discouraging. So yeah, just know that all of those things are going to happen to you when you're first starting out. And my goal for this is to prepare you for all the challenges, all the failure, all the unknowns. Um, turn your mindset so that you realize that the failure and unknowns are actually a good thing. And it's good that they're a good thing uh, because they never go away. You're always going to have to learn something new. There's always going to be a, a steep learning curve in front of you. Or maybe not steep, but there will always be a learning curve because you'll always be doing new things, hopefully. Um, and you're just going to fail throughout your time as a game dev just because it's it's a hard thing to do. And I'm not trying to be like an inspirational speaker. Um, I definitely don't have the persona for that. Uh, but I do feel qualified to talk about this because when I first started, I quit three times. And these were like not just breaks I was like totally done with it because I was so frustrated that happened to me three times and even to this day like I said I still deal with um, things that I completely failed on uh, times where I have no idea what I'm doing but the biggest thing that has changed is that I'm fine with that I realize that if I want to do this for the long term I'm always going to be running into things I don't know how to do and I'm always going to be failing because that's just part of the learning process. And the key is I don't let it stop me before I even try to do it. And so I guess the point I want to get across is that a good chunk of game development is learning game development. And I personally believe that's true no matter how much experience you have. That being said, I've never been, you know, 40 years into the experience. So maybe the guys and girls who get that far, maybe for them finally they become like a master and they know everything and people just go to them and they see things super clearly uh, and never <laughs> fail or make mistakes. But I I doubt that that's how they see it. Um, I think even if you ask them, they will tell you that there are times when they don't know what they're doing and they're just, you know, trying things out and they expect to make mistakes. But eventually if they try enough, remember we talked about the value of iterations earlier, um, if they keep trying, then they're going to figure it out. So yeah, now that I think about it, at some point I do want to do like an interview and I would love to ask a sort of extremely senior level dev how they feel about um, this sort of point. I wonder if they still feel this kind of way about failure and dealing with unknowns. I wonder if it still seems like a mountain in front of them or if they feel like they're standing at the top of the mountain. That'd be interesting to know. So yeah, maybe I'll have that in a future um, interview episode. So yeah, I guess what I just wanted to say to beginners is that the beginning is a real slog and it's definitely not easy. <laughs> and I don't want to like defeat you and tell you that it never gets easy. But it's kind of the truth is that what we do is just inherently hard. 
And so just know that although it doesn't get easy, um, the good news is, is it does get less defeating. And that's been true in my experience. I remember at first I'd get so frustrated and I feel like there's no way I can do this. And then once I kind of got a few things under my belt, a few tips we're going to talk about later, um, I kind of grew like a confidence in that, okay, yeah, I have an idea out in the future, right? I want to make it. I have an idea for a full game and here I am. And to go from point A to point B, I'm going to have to do some things that I don't know how to do yet. But with the tips that I'm going to tell you here in a second, you're going to have this confidence in yourself where you're going to feel like, okay, even though I don't know how to do that yet, I'm sure that I can figure it out. And you genuinely believe you can figure it out. (laughs) And you're not just like trying to will it into existence. Um, And so, yeah, it, it gets less defeating. Um, the more you work with it and the more you keep going, the more confident you're going to get. And so today we're going to talk about um, some tips so that you don't get defeated early in your game dev journey. So tip number one um, for not getting defeated early, and this is to manage your aspirations and the scope of your projects when you first start out. This is like one of the biggest mistakes that gets people to give up early when they start. And this was the mistake that I've been victim to many times when I started. And I think it's just like human nature. Um, It's just something that people who play video games and people who make video games, you know, everyone's got video game ideas. And it's always this grand, huge idea that's going to be like the greatest game ever. And a lot of the ideas are actually really great ideas. Um, The problem is, is that they are insanely hard projects to make. And because of this reason, because your scope of your project and your aspirations are so grand when you start that 100% of the time you get defeated because you don't know how to do anything and you're quickly overwhelmed by all of the obstacles between where you are now and your completed vision. So this is why I recommend that if you're just starting out, think of the smallest game idea you possibly can think of and make that. And I'm talking really small, like... One button, one action small. Another common thing that people do um, to start out and keep them in like a small scope project is to follow along with a YouTube tutorial. Most of these tutorials are usually great. Brackies on YouTube is the channel that I recommend to beginners. And one thing you can do with these tutorials is to try and make your own small twist on what they're showing. And this small twist make it super small. It can be as small as like changing the color of a ball that the player touches. When you kind of go off the rails and do your own thing, um, I feel like it solidifies the knowledge better and it gives you this confidence that you can go off the rails and get back on them. And uh, we're going to talk later about the importance of that. But yeah, doing small changes like this or even completing small games like this will make you feel accomplished and it's going to give you the motivation to keep going. And if you keep going, you will keep learning. And that will allow you to slowly increase the scope. You know, maybe you take one system from your grand game and you make a whole game just about that one system. And so the slow and steady uh, path of starting extremely small and slowly increasing the scope uh, has I have found personally to be very effective. And understand that along the way, when you increase the scope, 
Eventually, you're going to come up with a project that you don't know how to make, or you're going to fail at making it. And that's okay. It's okay to try something and then not work out and just trash it for the time being or just shelf it for the time being. Go back one step in scope and make something else, then increase it in a different way. The point is to keep learning and not get stuck on something that you feel like um, you're not making any progress on and it's really killing your morale. What you want to do is just keep testing the waters with new stuff until you kind of get in over your head and then dial it back one step and go off in a different direction and keep increasing increasing until you get out of your league, then go back and find a different direction. And sooner or later, you're going to build this like base of knowledge to where those ideas you do have in your head, you can finally get them out and onto the screen and playable. And that is when I think you get out of like the beginner valley. Um, and once you get to that point, it's a lot less defeating. It's not, it doesn't ever really get any easier, I don't think. I mean, surely you get better at le- learning and your core knowledge grows so you know how to do more stuff. But you're still going to have to um, do this sort of method of slowly increasing your scope. And you're pretty much going to do that for the rest of your career. At least that's what I'm going to do. Maybe, again, this would be nice to ask someone who's like 40 years in. At a certain point, you probably find like an expertise. Um, But even then, if you're an expert, if you're the guy to go to or girl um, to go to about a specific topic, like you are probably testing the waters of stuff that nobody else knows how to do. And you're really like pushing the boundaries forward. So yeah, I don't think this testing the waters of something bigger method ever goes away. But what's nice is once your base knowledge is so big, you'll be able to take the ideas from in your head and get them on the screen and working. And you'll beat all that frustration that comes from having like this mountain of obstacles between your vision and a completed product. Okay, so for tip number two, um, the fastest way to learn is to make as many small games as you can. I'm really a fan of making like a ton of small games um, from start to finish. The important part is the start to finish. This allows you to get better at all aspects of game development simultaneously. If you just keep starting new ideas, then all you get good at is starting games, but not finishing games. And as we talked about in the Polish episode, and probably in lots of other places, Finishing a game is like the most important part. Knowing how to polish and refine your ideas is extremely important for game development. And this is why I think game jams are a great way to keep up with this. Because they force you to have a small scope and they kind of guide you to making lots of small games. And every time you do a game jam, it'll be a great learning experience. And remember that it's okay to fail. Um, you will definitely enter game jams where you do not complete the game in the allotted amount of time. I suppose I should describe what a game jam is just in case you don't know. Um, A game jam is usually a challenge where you try and make a video game, an entire video game start to finish, in a certain amount of time. Usually that amount of time is very short, like 48 hours, so one weekend. And you have to make everything... It kind of depends on the rules of the game jam, actually, but... The sort of common classic game jam is 48 hours. You have to make all the um, art assets and all the code and all that from scratch. There are lots of game jams that allow you to use pre-existing code and um, 
obviously the use of engines is pretty prolific, even though you're not technically doing it from scratch because the engine code is pre-written. There are like extreme hardcore game jams where you have to make the engine and then (laughs) make a game on it, which is crazy. So I guess the point is, is that game jams are inherently difficult. It's an extreme challenge on an already challenging task of making a video game. And in my experience, only about a third of the participants in the game jam actually complete a game. But the whole point of it is to practice. So know that it's okay to fail, and you probably will at game jams, but remember that the whole point of doing them is about practice. And this kind of coincides with tip number one. There are like different kinds of game jams on the internet every weekend, so... I think you'll probably burn yourself out if you try making a game (laughs) every weekend uh, because it's a pretty intense experience. But in my opinion, the more game jams you do, the better game developer you will become um, so long as you're not burning yourself out. And that kind of tolerance is going to be different for everyone. But yeah, I would encourage you to join some game jams and a great one, a classic one, I think it I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was like the first game jam. Um, Maybe not the first one, but the one that made it popular for like having lots of people do it on the internet. And it's called the Let Em Dare, or I've also heard people pronounce it Ludum Dare. But anyways, uh, it happens twice a year. The second time this year is coming up here in October. Um, I'm planning on doing it if nothing comes up on that weekend. And I'm going to encourage everyone in our community... I'll probably make multiple posts on the Discord about it, about jumping in, because I truly believe it is great for developing um, your skills. And I also have like a really good time. It's really fun time to do it. I think it'd be really cool to have everyone in the Discord kind of working on the same thing and talking about the uh, challenge together. So yeah, look out for that coming up uh, here in October. So tip number three is... Um, an important one. It's learn from your failures. And this is kind of like philosophical for your life, which I don't know if I should be giving life advice. Um, Like I said, I'm not trying to become like an inspirational speaker, but this is really true in game dev, uh, learning from your failures. Look deeply at where things went wrong and what you could have done better. And sometimes you're so like tied to your game that you go blind to things that you could have done better because it's I consider it an art form I think I think everyone should consider it as an art form and um as you know with being an artist you're like deeply connected to your art so it hurts to admit flaws in it because it's like part of you it's the same reason why it hurts to admit flaws with yourself But the ability to accept constructive criticism will really make you a better game developer. And this is why I had the um, Game Dev Challenge this week be coming up with some constructive criticism. Because in order to accept constructive criticism, it helps to be able to give good constructive criticism. Good criticism will help you see problems with your game that you're blind to because you're so deeply connected to it. And... Of course, I think the video game world is sort of infamous for this, um, but there is a lot of bad criticism out there. 
And so you have to know the difference between good and bad criticism so that you know what bad criticism looks like and so you know that you can ignore it. And this is a very fine line because um, you could miscategorize good criticism as bad criticism just because it hurts to hear. And this is just being human. It just hurts to hear someone criticize something that is a part of you, like I said. But unfortunately, um, in the video game world, I guess there's people who know that criticism can hurt and they almost like weaponize it. Just go look at any triple A game <laughs> and you'll see a huge list of complaints. Some of them are so crazy, like the eye color of a character or something just super insignificant like that. So yeah, you got to know what good criticism and what bad criticism looks like and be able to draw that line. And here's like a way that I vet criticism. Um, you can probably like look up some books or I'm sure there are people who are way more um, knowledgeable about this who can like tell you the exact things to look for when deciding what's good and bad in terms of criticism. But what I look for is that I think good criticism uh, helps lead you to a solution and it comes from an alternative perspective that in the best case scenario has failed in a similar way. So this looks like someone who says, for instance, hey, your jump feels really floaty. I think it might be because of the way you're applying gravity to your character. What's helped me in the past is increasing gravity uh, coming on the way down. That to me is like the perfect criticism. Now, remember that the perfect criticism doesn't come very often, right? And it's not because people are being rude or whatever. It's just hard to run across someone who's got the knowledge and the experience that kind of relates to your exact problem. But if the criticism has any of those elements, either they've dealt with a similar problem, they know a fix for it, or they just have an alternative perspective from your own, those are the kind of things you're looking for. Bad criticism can come in like a malicious form where it's just meant to like hurt you or make you feel bad. Um, and this usually, I've noticed this comes from people who like are afraid to fail. Remember we talked about like embracing failure and learning from it. Um, people who are afraid to fail don't like seeing other people like going out and trying something. And so they'll criticize people who do go out for that. Not, I don't know why that is. Remember, I'm not trying to get into philosophy or people or whatever here. I think I feel like I'm getting a little off the rails. But also I want you to recognize that bad criticism can come from the other spectrum um, where the person is too afraid to like hurt your feelings and so they just tell you something's great when it's not. And this is why some of the first people you will probably go to is your friends and family for criticism in your game. And that's awesome. I, I feel very blessed to have supportive friends and family who take an interest in my passion, even though sometimes I feel like I'm shoving it onto them. Um, maybe they're not interested in just being polite. But they're pretty much always going to say, like, yeah, it's good. And people who I'm a little bit closer with, like um, my brothers... They're not afraid to criticize me because they know, you know, that's what I'm trying to get out of this. But if you go to someone who doesn't know very much about video games, um, they're probably just going to be polite 
and say like, yeah, it's great. And this is another form of bad criticism um, because it doesn't really expose your flaws. All it does is kind of um, reinforce you and your blindness to your problems. It reinforces your blindness to your problems. So that's why I won't remember one of those things for good criticism is that it comes from an alternative perspective. And so, yeah, evaluate that too when you're deciding whether or not it's helpful or not criticism. Um, If it's coming from someone with the same perspective or maybe someone who's just looking to be polite and not hurt your feelings, um, not that it's supposed to hurt your feelings, but you know what I mean. If they're too scared to say something's wrong, then um, a flaw in your game is going to go undetected. So next um, tip is tip number four. Um, Google is the most powerful game development tool. Google might be the most powerful tool across all disciplines, but especially for game dev. Um, And that's just because there are so many tutorials and resources uh, for pretty much anything you can think of. And that's doubly so for commonly used engines like Unity. The skill, though, is that you got to know what to search for. So I usually include a description of the effect and genre, and then I add the engine name in my searches. So this might look like if I'm building an RTS game um, and I want to do that effect where you can like drag and drop buildings from the toolbar, like you click a little icon and then that makes like a ghost building and then you place the building and it gets built. So if I was trying to implement an effect like that, I kind of in my head can think about how you might do that, but especially if you're a beginner, if you just Google RTS building Unity, then I guarantee a tutorial will come up with someone who's going to show you exactly how to build an effect or a feature like that. And what you want to do is take that feature, that tutorial, and adapt that to your own project. And this is where you can become extremely powerful. If you can adapt other people's tutorials to your ideas, your ability to make your own idea goes way up. And so armed with Google and the skill to search with Google, um, working with the unknowns in game development is a lot less scary. So all that stuff you don't know how to do between where you are now and your completed vision, know that if you have this skill, you will be able to navigate all of those unknowns. And that is an extreme confidence builder, um, and it helps you from getting defeated, in my opinion. And so the last tip, tip number five, is to remember why you do game dev. Remember that it's supposed to be fulfilling um, an artistic expression. It's supposed to bring bring joy. At least those are the things that I get out of it. Um, It might be different for you, but know that it won't always feel like this. For instance, I feel no (laughs) joy or fulfillment or artistic expression from trying to figure out a bug for hours on end. But if I take a break, I look at the big picture, and I remember why I'm doing this in the first place, I'll only scream at my walls about a bug (laughs) three times instead of 20. But in all seriousness, um, taking breaks and looking at the bigger picture actually does help stifle um, frustration. Sometimes, especially with bugs, I find you just hit a wall, and instead of like spinning your wheels trying to figure it out forever, your ability to solve it just like takes a nosedive. And it just is from like you don't think clearly because you're frustrated. So taking a breaks, 
Like, don't even think about it. Go do something else. And then when you come back, just remember why you're doing it, why you got into game dev. And I think this, for me at least, helps stifle frustration. And then usually when I come back right after a break, I figure out the bug like pretty quickly after that. And so I don't know if this counts as tip number six. Um, I like five. <laughs> I don't know why I like five versus six, but anyways, um, this kind of goes with the last tip anyways. Have patience. Game development doesn't happen overnight. This is doubly so for you as a game developer and games in general. Your skill to make a game doesn't like increase on a night by night basis. It's kind of like a marathon, right? And then games in general, unless you're doing a game jam, which it literally does happen overnight, but big games in general, like your dream game idea that you had in your head at the start of this, you can't make it in one day. Rome wasn't built in one day. That's a true saying for like almost every single thing any person tries to build. So yeah, I guess just have patience. Um, Stick with it for the long haul. Um, And if you do stick with it, I promise the moment when you make someone laugh or smile or scream or yell because you designed a game to make them do that, in that moment, it'll all be worth it. For me, it's fun and incredibly fulfilling to bring excitement, joy, or any other emotional escape to people, and it makes all the tedious stuff worth it. And so the last thing I want to add is that all of these tips were kind of um, cited at the beginner, but I think they all can apply to those intermediate developers as well. You just got to kind of think of the next step. So for instance, tip number one, manage your aspirations and scope. Uh, One of the biggest things you'll learn as an intermediate developer is how to properly scope your projects. Because yes, when you get to the intermediate level, you might be able to make a game with a large scope, like you personally have the knowledge to do it. But there are other constraints that don't really affect beginners, but once you become kind of more serious and an inter- intermediate developer, um, these constraints are a big deal. I can think of time uh, as a major one, money as another big one. Um, just because you have an I- idea for a game you know how to make, you only have so much time and so much money to make it, and so you got to make sure that your scope is allowing for things like that. And that's what you can do with all these tips that I gave. I know I try and hit both the beginner and intermediate uh, people with these episodes, and this one was kind of more focused towards beginners. But if you're the intermediate level person, um, and maybe I should have started with this because um, the intermediate people probably realized early on that this is a beginner episode. But yeah, if you're an intermediate person that's still listening know that you can take these tips and kind of look at the next step and sort of these mantras of being okay with failure um, and sort of dealing with the unknown and just having the confidence that you can deal with both of these things is going to help and be something that you rely on throughout your game dev career no matter what level you are. So yeah, this is shaping up to be a long one, but uh, I'll sum up everything here kind of concisely. So to sum it all up, Unfortunately, a majority of people who start game dev quit early. This is because they don't anticipate the extreme challenge. You will be much more prepared for this challenge if you're comfortable with failure and dealing with the unknown. When you're a first beginner, 
start by making as many small projects as you can. And when I say small, I'm talking about very small projects. Uh, games that are like one button, one button, one function. You can learn really fast by doing. The only way to get better at game development is to do game development. Um, a good way to kind of keep up on this is participating in game jams. Know that you will fail a lot as a beginner. Uh, it's perfectly normal to fail a lot. Every game dev has been there. Um, and the key thing is to not let all the frustration defeat you and learn from your failures. Learning from your mistakes slash failures is very important and also as equally important as seeking well-informed criticism. Remember that there is a lot of criticism to go around in game dev um, and you have to be able to draw that fine line between good and bad criticism. And to help you be able to draw this line, I think you should participate in the game dev challenge uh, where you come up with some criticism that is all the things that we talked about earlier in the episode. Remember that Google is the most powerful game dev tool. If you know how to use Google to help you solve your problems, we'll be a lot better at dealing with all the unknowns you're going to come across in game dev. Another great skill to have is learning to adapt others' tutorials, um, specifically to adapt those tutorials to your projects. If you can do this, you will be unstoppable. Any idea you have in your head, as long as you can break it down into tutorials and merge them all together into one final project, this will be super helpful uh, in allowing you to get your ideas from your head to the screen. And lastly, um, remember that when you're getting frustrated, take a break and think about the reasons you picked up game dev in the first place. And know that when you finally get to the moment when you have your finished game build, you're going to feel so relieved, so accomplished, and doubly so when you watch someone play your game and uh, you get them to evoke that emotion you were going for, or you just see the joy and excitement from playing your game, or you just generally um, give someone some entertainment. Um, it's, it's a really good feeling, and it's not something that I think too many people get to experience. At least not in the way you get to experience as a game dev. So yeah, I know this was sort of a more like heady episode, but I think there is some info in there that for beginners especially, um, things that they need to hear. So yeah, I, I felt kind of weird recording it because I know we definitely got on some like philosophical um, stuff and it kind of, it almost feels like it went out of game dev for a minute there. Um, so yeah, tell me what you think about this sort of more meta sort of information, uh, this episode. And if you like that sort of mindset, headspace kind of advice, or if you're more like, hey, philosopher boy, shut up about your feelings and show me how to make video game explosions, which I would love to absolutely do an episode on explosions, and I probably will at some point. Next episode, we'll be back into the like, straight on game development um, information. Episode 15 will be about melee combat. So yeah, don't worry, I'm not changing the podcast into a weird like inspirational lifestyle kind of thing. Um, we'll, we'll go back into the deep dive on mechanics and art and the craft and all that good stuff uh, starting with next episode, which will be on melee combat. So yeah, with that, I'm going to end the episode. Um, remember, you can get a hold of me on Twitter 
and Instagram. That's at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. Come join our Discord. We have great discussions there. There's lots of people learning. There's lots of people showing off what they've made. We got the Game Dev Challenge going on. There's learning content, some tools, and we even have a technical help section um, so that if you're having any problems uh, with your game engine or you can't get something to work, feel free to come in there and leave a comment and someone will come in and help you. So yeah, with that I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli. Um, I really hope the name Philosopher Boy doesn't stick with me, and I'll see you guys next time.